for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to our Insight Special Edition of Blue Collar Elk Hunting, where we talk about all things elk. Hope you enjoy the show. If this is your first time with us, our goal is to interview people from all walks of life that bring their viewpoints, expertise, or stories about elk and elk hunting to inspire, guide, and educate. On today's show, Are you looking for information, tips, or solid strategies to draw your New Mexico elk tag this year? Do you want to avoid common mistakes or want to know just how to increase your odds? Look, y'all, it doesn't matter whether you're a resident or a non-resident. If your answer is yes, then today's show is one you don't want to miss. So pull back that string, y'all, or settle that stock right into your shoulder because we're about to get on target. Welcome. To our Insights Edition. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by AllGrows.com, with your host and elk hunting coach Joe Gillity. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. I'm Joe Gillia, your host for the show, and joining us today from southern New Mexico is Mr. Jared Burns. And, you know, uh, I laughed because I had a hard time figuring out just exactly how I was going to introduce Jared, and here's why. He brings a unique expertise to today's show, not only because he's an avid elk hunter, which he is, but because he's also a New Mexico Game and Fish Officer with some professional insight and tips and strategies that he wants to share to help you pull your New Mexico tag this year. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing good, Joe. about yourself today? It's it's finally glad to meet you, you know, face-to-face, man. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I think it's really cool because, you know, I, I get this email from you. I mean, you were a listener of the show, right? Yes, sir. You were a big inspiration for my elk hunt this year. I learned a lot listening to you guys and applied a lot of your strategies this year. Oh, that's awesome. So the way I want to do this is um, I, I want to start off with your background first as a game and fish officer and as a, as a hunter. Can you tell us a little okay. bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so as you said, I am a dip, I am a conservation officer for New Mexico Game and Fish. I currently serve as the Dimming District Conservation Officer, which 
for their, your listeners who don't know where Deming is, it's way down deep southern New Mexico. No, no elk down here, but we do have uh, a unique population of ibex down here that nowhere else has. So that's a good little shout out for the show for <laughs> Deming, New Mexico and the Florida Mountains. Um, I've been with the department now for about three years and we're going on from there. And uh, <laughs> I started hunting when I was about four. Um, I took my hunter ed when I was eight and started hunting elk. When I was 14, my first year, I got a nice six by five, got hooked. And you would appreciate this, Joe, is when I went elk hunting, it was with me and my dad. We were in uh, Unit 34 on their youth hunt. My dad was there, and I'm the guy doing all the calling. I'm sitting there with my hoochie mom. I'm, I'm using it. I'm doing the diaphragm calls. I'm bugling. That's awesome. I mean, and my dad could not do any of that. And I, I actually, as a 14-year-old kid, listening to, you know, Will Primos was the one that could actually do that. Um, I started archery elk hunting in 2015, and since starting archery elk hunting, I've actually gone five years elk hunting out of the past, you know, six that I've applied. Oh, wow. I don't claim to be an expert, but I, I think I, I know a little something about, you know, getting drawn. As an archery hunter in New Mexico, being a resident, it opens up a lot of opportunities that are sometimes more difficult for firearm hunters. Absolutely, yeah. Especially if you focus on areas that are not necessarily the so-called prime areas of mm -hmm. parts of New Mexico. And being down in Deming, you have some insight down in there because you're in southern New Mexico, and it seems like one of the big attractions for most people that want to come hunt New Mexico is, of course, the mighty Gila. Yep, absolutely. I actually, some of my patrol area is the southern part of the Gila. I work units 24 mm -hmm. and the southern part of 16B in the wilderness. So, you know, you talk about you started hunting at the age of 14, and this is something that you've done since very young. You gravitated to archery, but tell us a little bit about your hunt this year. I hunted, uh, I I don't want to say my area, but I my, I, I love hunting the Gila. That's my, my go-to area is the Gila. The mm -hmm. boy, it was a real difficult year this year. Um, I hunted the early season, so from September 1 through 14th, they weren't bugling very much. There were only two days the area I was hunting that they actually started bugling. They weren't really responding to bugles or cow calls. Um, I actually had a shot at a cow at 40. I ranged her at 45, and it was my last couple of days of the hunt. And I was like, well, I've been on a dry streak since 2015. I might as well at least loose an arrow. And she stepped to 40 and I just didn't correct for the distance and she ducked my arrow and that was my elk hunt this year. Um, my fiance, if I, I'm going to, I'm going to probably refer to her as my wife too. We're getting married this year, but Man. she actually drew her first elk tag this year, which was a Gila rifle tag. We saw plenty of bulls. We, we just could not get in on them. They were the, the moon. I don't want to use the moon excuse, you know, but they would be out for an hour or two at the beginning of the day, and then they go straight to bed. And then they come out last hour, and then the wind was playing heck with us. And she's a little smarter than I am or conservative, and she didn't like my idea of hiking up this huge mountain to go after this bull. And I was like, well, next time. <laughs> we'll get you there next time, you know? Yeah, so first of all, congratulations, man, on, uh, on the upcoming wedding. Uh, Thank you, sir. 
Yeah, and it's nice when you can uh, hunt with your your wife to be, and and at the same time tell her she's a little bit smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, she is, and I don't know about you. I have never been able to say this right. She is three for three, meaning she's taken three shots at animals and she's put three on the ground. She's taken an antelope. She she got spoiled. She killed an eighty-five inch antelope, first big game animal ever. Kills this monster antelope. Uh, she's taking a javelina and she just finished her once in a lifetime orcs hunt last week. Wow. The oryx. Yeah, so, so, was that on, on the base? Yes. That was on the stallion range. Wow. That's awesome, man. And I tell you what, talk about some incredible eating. Absolutely. Yeah. Just getting it processed and we're enjoying all of it right now. Oh, that's awesome. But so I, I think it's kind of interesting because you know, you're talking about hunting the Gila. You're talking about the difficulties you have. And, you know, a lot of times people look at game and fish conservation officers as guys that have kind of an inside track on everything. And, man, I, I imagine uh, coming up here March 17th when you put in for your tags, you're going to be going through the same stress as we all do. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm one of them last minute guys. And, you know, in a minute, we'll get to talking about the draw, how it works and some new stuff with game and fish this year. I honestly prepping for this, I found there's something new this year that they're offering for early hunters. And we'll get into that a little later on, okay. but yeah, I go through the same stress that everyone goes through every year on what units are good. What, what the moon phases, what's going to affect them this year, right. you know, what, what areas are better fires are, and that's a fire. You can't predict, right. you know, it's one of those things of you get drawn for a great hunt and then all of a sudden you get a forest fire. Well, and, and we can talk about that. Yeah. The, the forest fires that end up keeping you or hurting you for that season's mm -hmm. hunt. Um, but you can take a look at, you know, there's been a lot of fires down in Southern New Mexico that mm -hmm. some of them are hitting that two year, three year mark down there. Some of them are only a year away, depending mm -hmm. on what moisture we get now is going to determine how good those areas are. But a lot of those areas in that two and three year mark are someplace that you might want to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started on, and we're going to talk about overall strategies, Jared, but mm -hmm. before we get to that, I want to talk about your own personal draw strategy because that could be different for different reasons. And I'll kind of compare and talk about mine as well because you and I already have something in common. You said you're a last second guy when it comes to putting in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm that guy. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so, yep, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about what your personal draw strategy has been and the reasons behind it. So I remember going back, you know, I told you I started Elko when I was 14. Mm -hmm. I remember the application where you'd go to Walmart and they'd have the application form and you pick up a handful of them, the proclamation, and you'd fill them out and then mail them to Game and Fishes. And I, so I've been doing this since I was 14 pick picking hunts and things like that so you know and my strategy's changed over the years but once i've gotten into this job i i've been able to figure it out it's not like an inside thing it's just talking to the guys here and the other guys i've actually been able to figure out just how the draw really works you know right um so when it comes to my draw strategy my first choice my first choice is i call that my dream choice so that's like comparable to you know, drawing the Caldera, the Vidal, a Gila hunt. That's my dream hunt, like second archery, first rifle, you know? 
So um, you threw uh, those names out there. So let's make sure our listeners understand what those places sure. are you're talking about. So you, you said the Valle Caldera, which up near mm -hmm. um, Los Alamos, right? Mm -hmm. uh, near the Hamas. And is, uh, you know, I, I had somebody that contacted me this year that, that hunted the Caldera and was basically, they, he was like, Joe, what, what should be the strategy for hunting the Caldera? And I was like, show up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not much sure. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure it's a once in a lifetime hunt. I know the Vidal is the yeah. Bali Vidal, but, and I know Caldera used to be the one where you'd go to Walmart, you'd have your regular game and fish applications. But then you'd have this other one saying, hey, here's 6B. It costs more, but it's a separate application, right. I think. Isn't that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and at one point in time, the Caldera was private mm -hmm. so uh, until it came over to the state. And it's gone through a number of processes where it was the type of lottery where you could buy tickets for $25, as many as you wanted to be put into that lottery. Um, yeah. Then it changed up to give the residents of New Mexico more shot at it uh, as far as that went. So it's gone through a lot of changes, and it really is. A, it's, a, it's a beautiful gold mine and a gem here mm -hmm. in New Mexico, just like the Valle Vidal that you mentioned. The Valle Vidal is in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's just five miles up the road to the turnoff to the Via Vidal. It's about thirty miles in, and I I won't even say it's the Yellowstone of New Mexico because I actually I rank it higher than the mm -hmm. Yellowstone uh, for a lot of reasons. I've been to Yellowstone. Uh, if I was fishing, I would say there's a difference between being in Wyoming and being in New Mexico. But when it comes to flat out beauty incredible elk herds and uh just a outstanding hunt i man i tell you the viva doll the uh the caldera the via caldera that you're talking about uh i think they are i think they're the best that you can find anywhere I, yeah that, sure now, i i might be a little bit prejudiced or biased but you know i've i've seen a lot of things uh and it's hard to compare those. They are just flat out beautiful. And when it comes to elk hunting, it's top notch. Yeah, absolutely. I've never got to go elk hunting either of those places, but I've known about them by reputation, you know? Right. Yeah, I can see, like you said, um, you put in for one of those three first. Now, you, you put the Gila in those three as well. Yeah, because, I mean, if you go if you go on, like, YouTube and you just type in New Mexico elk hunting, mm -hmm. you're going to find, you know, Caldera, the Valle Vidal. But the Gila is one of those that everybody is kind of just one of those world-renowned spots of producing big southwest New Mexico desert bulls or just, just big bulls, you know? Right. So, and then the Gila being in my backyard, I just, it's close and I just like hunting it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, no, and those Gila bulls, in fact, I had this bull I have up behind me that you see back here, mm -hmm. you're not able to see the, the rack on him very good, but if you were to see that those horns any closer, that is a typical Gila bull, even though he's a yep. northern New Mexico bull, he has that real, real rough texture, those real long uh, rough uh, beams and tines. It's just a gorgeous bull, but reminds me a lot of those bulls down in the Gila's. And just, uh, it's, you're right, it's classic. And and anytime you see people that especially are coming from out of state, their goal is to try to get into the Gila, right? Sure, yeah. And 
So that's why my first choice, I call that the dream hunt. That's the one where it's going to be everyone's dream to get that hunt. You're going to have an amazing experience, whether it's, you know, like the second archery, the first rifle. If you look in the proclamation, um, the ones that are harder to draw, if you look over the side, they'll have letters by them and it'll be either S for standard, Q for quality, or HD for high demand. Those kind of show you like, hey, you know, like you take one of these Gila ones and you look and it says HD, it says high demand means those tags are in high demand compared to one that says S and it's just a standard hunt, you know? Absolutely. So that's why, that's why your first one's always those high demands. The second one can be a good hunt. You could put a high demand as your second choice, mm-hmm. but it's going to be lower draw odds compared to if you put like a quality or standard or just one that a lot of people aren't. I guess I don't want to say interested in, but there's not as much interest. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. And then your third choice, what I do, my third choice is like, this is just to get me out of the house. So my fiance does not kill me because (laughs) I drive her crazy every year, blowing my elk calls, practicing. She actually kicks me out of the house and says, go do that out there. I'm tired of listening to it. (laughs) So that that in a nutshell is it's kind of my my strategy where it's dream hunt good hunt get me out of the house hunt you know so has that you said that's changed over the years has it really or is has 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 it always been like that it's changed a little because you know i used to think of the draw and that's a big thing people you got to understand how it works and we can get in that later you know but i used to throw on like right now how how does it work how does it work let's start right now okay well so the Mexico draw is a random draw system, okay? And it's no point system. And I and we're not going to get into that. I like no point system. And for a lot of your listeners, think of it this way. Without points, a guy just starting out, you know, first-time guy putting in, he can put in for the draw, and he's got the same opportunity as I do or you do as a, you know, 20-plus-year veteran, you know? Mm-hmm. And they can he can draw a quality hunt, Um no, that's totally true. And you you might not want to get into the points, but I'll just tell you from my point of view, from somebody. Now, I've been hunting New Mexico. Uh, this is going to be my 39th, my 39th season coming up, almost 40 years. And I am so glad that we do not have a point system. That would be the biggest mistake that would ever happen for New Mexico. And, and I really, I, I hate when you start hearing states say or comparing themselves to other states and how they do it, because that might work for that state. And it might be sure. something that is already inherent in their system. In other words, I, I think there's a lot of states that would like to get away from that point system because it's really gotten out of hand with point creep and all the mm-hmm. different things that you have people that are, that are, paying money for 20 years, 25 years, yeah. trying, to, trying to draw a tag to get enough points and, and to draw those those premium tags or those limited entry tags are getting above still. It's staying above what they have. So uh, it's hard for them to get rid of it because now if you dump it, if you have these people that have 20-some years invested in it, ooh, yeah. that's, that's a tough call right there. Yeah, well, and the other thing, look at this, was saying at 20 years, you'll draw that hunt, but, you know, how how good is that? Is it going to be, like, if you put in for 20 years for Arizona, are you going to actually see 
that and it got like uh i'm sorry i'm getting tongue twisted that's all right but are you know my expectations if i'm going to put in for 20 years is i'm like hey i better see at least a couple 400 inch bulls but the quality might go down where now the high quality is 360 it's like well i just waited 20 years and it's not it doesn't meet my expectations now sure yeah it's a it's a little bit different hunt and i think if you were to especially in some of these states if you were to add up what you paid in for 20 some years man you could have done a guided hunt on year five maybe you know sure yeah yeah absolutely but so yeah so like i said we're only one of two states that doesn't have a point says it's us in idaho and so what the so basically what the computer does okay when you put in an application it assigns it a sequence number and then in sequence it goes through and it'll award hunts okay mm-hmm. um when we're gonna and i'll kind of give a simplistic idea of what i tell all my friends when i'm trying to like paint them this picture you know um the other thing that people need to realize is our licenses are distri- distributed by quota system which means 84 percent go to residents six percent go to non-residents and then you have 10 percent that go to the outfitters which these can be either residents or non-residents they just have to apply with a registered outfit registered outfitter with New Mexico game and fish, and they'll get a 10% pool. So the simplistic idea to think of the draw, okay, is think of the draw as one big barrel, okay, one, one big barrel, and every application goes in there, whether it's resident, non-resident, outfitter, and it's every species from javelina, elk, ibex, everything, one, one barrel, and the computer will start pulling these apps out, and when it pulls one out, it assigns it a number, not as a random one. It just gives it its number. It's like, okay, what can I assign? And then it'll start going. It'll go number one. Nope. Number two. Nope. Number three. You got a winner. We'll put you in this one. Okay. So now, when, you say, that, when you say nope, nope, winner. So basically, so uh, let's take that. Let's say that I put in for the Viavi doll, my first choice. I put in for the uh, um via caldera second choice and then i put in for gila on the third choice so when my number comes up and and you you made a a point though that a lot of people don't think about it tries to fill all of your game hunts so if i have elk deer and and uh uh, i oryx or ibex on that it's going to try filling Mm -hmm. all of those hunts as well correct yeah but so like you have them on different applications but like i said all the animals they go in together mm-hmm. and then they'll pull out the application so you know the first application it pulls out it could be a javelina application and said hey you just got your first choice and then the second one pulls out could be bighorn sheep it says you just got your first so and let me take you back a second because i want to make sure we're going to confuse on this because so if i uh, applied for an ibix and elk mm-hmm. and are they are they going into that a sequential number as two separate applications that are each getting their own number to be drawn or are they going on the same as one number to be drawn and filling any hunts available no so every application will get its number so you put in so me i put in for all i think it's eight species Mm -hmm. each one of those species has its own application and each application will receive its own number and then in order yeah in order you know, it'll, that's what the computer will fill it. So like, for example, this year, my elk number was like, it was like 10,000 something. Right. So it was a 10,000 application that it assigned a number to. And then my, my Barbary sheep one was like 30 some odd thousand. 
I got you. So uh, I'm putting in, and I put in for the Vividaw, I put in for the Vialcaldera, and I put in for the Gila. My sequence comes up. And so on my, my elk application, when it comes up, it goes to my first choice, and it looks. Yep. Is there an opening? In other words, you said there's a quota, so there's so many tags per unit, and New Mexico has multiple units in the different areas. So it looks at my hunt application, and it says, is there an available tag in that area? If it's no, there's not one, now it goes and looks at my second choice. So I lost out on the first choice. It goes to my second choice. It doesn't put me back in, like if I don't get my first one, it doesn't throw me back in the draw to be drawn again. It's going to go through every one of my choices to see if it can fill that, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yes, sir. So it's going to go through, it, it went to the Valle, uh, the, the Valle Vidal, no pick. It goes down to the Valle Caldera. All of those are gone already too, because maybe like you, I'm number 10,000 on there, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not filled and it goes down to my Gila and it says, okay, you put in for, you know, 16C there, there we have an available tag. Boom, you draw that tag. Exactly. Yes, sir. You got it. Right. So, I, you know, I want people to realize that, that when your number comes up, it's about the areas that you put in. Like you said, why not put in for your dream hunt there for number one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's just, and that's the way that people think of it is just like, what order do you want to pull it out? So your dream hunt, yes, I want that number one. You know, number two, I want that to be a good hunt. And number three is just one of those, like, hey, I just want to go hunting now. Right. Um, and it, it matters what order you put them in because, you know, if you put in, you know, your dream hunt is number two, but you're, you know, you're getting me in the, out of the house is number one and you get a low number, you draw low, it's going right. to give you that first choice first. You yeah. won't ever get a chance at your second choice. Yeah, because so it's that's why, first that's why it matters. Yeah, that's why it matters what order you put them in because it's going to fill your first tag first. It's not going to fill it based on the demand or the quality. It's going to pick. It's going to fill them in the order you put them. So I think that's what people have to remember. Now there is a, a caveat to all of this, and that's when you put in a, as a group. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point 
to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. In New Mexico, you can have up to how many people on the same application? I believe the number's four. Four hunters on the application, correct. I mean, I got a lot of out-of-state friends, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, your listeners, be very careful about putting out-of-state hunters on your application because what the computer will do, right, is when it pulls that application, it's going to look and see who's on there. And it says, you know, let's say the first three hunters are residents. As soon as it sees that last member who's a non-resident, that entire application just got put in the non-resident pool, so you went from an so that 84% mean, pool into a 6% pool. Exactly. So, cause I've had friends that have said, you know, I haven't drawn in years. And when I, you know, I asked them like, if you put in with a non-resident, they say, yes. I'm like, that's your problem. Put right. in as a resident and you might have a, you have a way better shot. Now I, I want to throw something else in there now, because when we were talking about personal strategies and that there's different reasons for doing different things, you know, there's a lot of people, especially residents, that they'll put in as a group because their family wants to hunt together. And maybe it's maybe it's more important for them all to draw in, in one location or the second choice or the third choice rather than them being in separate places. And when you're in an sure. 84% pool you have a lot more opportunity of drawing that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here when I state this, Jared, but for example, again, let's go back to the Vividal, all right, Um, where I believe there's only 10 tags available for that particular hunt. And Uh it's a a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. Had I put in, let's say, uh, let's say I, we put in, you have where you can put in as an individual or a group. And one, I have me on there, one person, and one, I have four of us on there, right? So let's say my number mm-hmm. gets pulled and there are three tags that are left that are available when my number gets pulled. Well, if I am the single solo person putting in for that, mm-hmm. then... I'm going to draw my tag. However, if I am, if I have four on there and we have one over the limit of tags available, that throws the whole app out, correct? Yeah, um, that I've heard that where if it's, you know, like, and I've put it like if there's one tag left or one license left. Right. And you, the application with four people get drawn. Right. The computer will have to skip over because it's going over the limit of people it's allowed. I've actually have heard that. Yes. And and so the reason I want to bring that up is when you're talking about strategies, tips and strategies here, if you are if you are a non resident that's putting in for a six percent pool, yep. you are actually 
penalizing yourself if you put in as a group because you are risking the the chances of you getting tags in a in an area with limited six percent amount of tags if there if there's a hundred tags in a unit that that means that six of those tags are going to be available for non-resident if i do all the math with the 10 percent pool there's going to be 84 there's going to be six yeah there's going to be six that are going to be there and there's going to be another 10 that's going to be there for the outfitter pool correct and that's why you need another mistake i find people make is they don't put in smart because when I put in for my draw, right, I'm looking, I'm looking at how many tags are available, how many people put in, where are these tags, where do most of these tags get awarded to, you know, do they go all in the first, all in the second, all in the, you know, some of the third, um, an example of this, I'm going to tell you, I've got an example pulled up of how, you know, I, how some people don't put in, you know, quote unquote, smart is there's a hunt, okay, and we're just going to do residence, okay. So out of this hunt for residents, there are 47 tags available, okay? Right. For first, so first choice, and this is, I got all this information off of the 2020 draw odd report. Okay. Okay, so for first choice, there are a thousand residents that put in for this choice and they awarded 45 tags, which comes out to like a 4.4% chance of drawing. Right. The second choice, 787 people put in and they awarded two tags. And then for the third choice, so that's 47, that's all of them. For the third choice, 581 people put in and they had a 0% chance of drawing. So, I mean, 787, that's not great, but for sure, 581 people just wasted their pick because there's no tags available. So that's why I highly encourage people when they're looking at this, I'm like, hey, look at, you know, where people can draw, like uh, not where you can draw, but look at, how many tags are available? How many people put in your total odds? I mean, if you look at all this, you can develop a pattern and set yourself up for success. No, I totally get that. You know, sometimes you're just burning your opportunity, you know, just by, and I, you know, I, I would tell people, man, if, you know, you were talking about where you have your different types of tags, you have your standard tag, you have your, your quality, your high quality, high demand, right? Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, man, if I'm looking at a third choice, it's not going to have an HD or a Q on it. It should have an S on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people look at a standard area as being low quality. I think that as well is a big mistake sometimes. Just because an area is high demand does not necessarily mean that you're going to have uh, that that your opportunity for killing an elk is going to be any better because if you look at at success rates in different areas, some areas that are just standard hunt areas have higher success rates than a high demand area. Well, and that's you know I think I heard Randy Newberg say the other day he's like if you look at those harvest reports, the ones that have higher success rates, that's just where a lot of people are killing elk. Or if you look at a standard place, people aren't killing out there. That doesn't mean there's less out there. It just means people, just less people are killing elk, you know? And there's something else that you need to remember about those success rates, especially when you're hunting in any state and in New Mexico. Like I was looking at a unit the other day that had like a, I don't know, it was like almost like a 20% success rate in the unit. 
And to somebody looking at that, it was 20, 23% success rate for an archery hunt, which is like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty daggum good. But then when you dig just a little bit deeper, what you find out is, is that you have over 50% of that unit that is private. That means that it's a whole different situation the way that private area is being hunted than the way the public. You'll have a whole lot more people on the public than you do on the private. Um, it's going to be a unique situation, and they know how to hunt those private ranches, and mm-hmm. they, they're hunting animals that are not uh, call-savvy. They're not pressured. So it kind of makes, it, you know, to a person that doesn't delve into it a little bit, it looks like, well, that's a place I might want to go when it's not necessarily true. So you got to be careful with things like success rates. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I like using the harvest report to um, to look at like bull to cow ratios. That's what I mainly use the harvest reports for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I look at like how many people are killing because I don't want to put in for an area where, you know, it's only a 5% success rate and not many bulls are getting taken out. But yeah, I look at the heart, the, the the bull to cow ratio, which the department has on and is readily available to everybody. They can look and say, hey, you know, I think like the the Gila, they they put all of it together because those elk move so much. And they say like the bull to cow ratio is, I'm pretty sure it's like 34 bulls to 100 cows, which is not bad. So for the listeners out there, um, Jared's in a position where his phone started to run out there, and we've had to switch him over to a computer. We've lost his video feed, but uh, and his audio might sound a little different, but just to give you a heads up on that. we well, We're talking about units right now, and we've talked a little bit like we've talked about S for standard and the quality and the, and the high demand. And, you know, we've kind of mentioned this as far as the type of units we haven't talked about necessarily units that maybe residents should be looking for versus non-residents and and I want to I want to kind of lead off with that Jared because as a resident when it comes to drawing and and like you mentioned 5% success rate right on one of these hunts this and this was a resident hunt the example I gave you uh-huh. yeah the uh the first choice it was like a 4% chance of drawing because they only issued this year, and so I, I, I have to stop myself or I'm going to get, I will confuse people because they're like, well, how do you know 45 tags going to be issued? I don't. It's, that is what my, I've typed in the numbers. I've looked at all the data. So for 2020, in 2020, the first choice, 45 tags, 45 applications were awarded their first choice. Right. Next year, it could all 47 it could be less sure you know but it just that, depends, that, on, I, depends on who mark that as their first choice and who gets drawn for it yeah i, I just don't want to confuse people like no. well how do you know how many you're going to get I'm like i don't that's just what the number was but see what what i was talking about was not necessarily um the drawing odds what i was talking about you were talking about a unit that had five percent success rate that oh. a lot of people might not want to put in for but i, I I want to throw a little wrench into that, especially for residents. This is a little more difficult for non-residents unless, now there might be a reason, but for residents, I, I'll tell you, Jared, that um, the areas that I focused on hunting for many years were 5 to 8% success rate. 
And uh -huh, yeah. the reason that I put in for those areas is that I could find areas that were within an hour and a half to two hour drive away. Um, it was areas that I could learn, that I could locate where those elk were, where a lot of people don't. And a lot of people are going to stay away from those because they're five to eight percent success rate. But I truly believe, and this is something that either the residents can pick up on this or non-residents that are having difficulty drawing tags, that if it's possible to get tags in this area from in one of those types of areas for multiple years, you can improve those odds by just strictly knowing the area. I think that is huge. So a lot of times I would rather take myself the the chance of going and hunting a five to eight percent success rate area with great knowledge factor of the area over a place that was 15 to 18 percent either that i don't know or that has uh high numbers of pressure in there so i, I just wanted to throw that out there is that just because the again like you mentioned randy talking about just because there's five percent success in an area does not necessarily mean that there's not elk there. It, it just means that people haven't killed that many elk that drew for that area, right? Now, yeah. that could be because they're not coming across them, but it could also be because of their skill set, their lack of knowledge of the area, their lack of ability of closing the deal, just so many variables as far as that goes. I will tell you that there's areas that we have hunted that were five to 8% that we changed the success rate in those areas uh, by taking out. So, you know, it uh, it's not, I just want to tell you that a lot of those areas sometimes are not necessarily what people would consider trash units. It's just, um, it, it takes a little bit different skill set and, and it depends on what you want to do as far as time and knowledge for an area. Actually, that's one thing I ask people who like come to me and ask me for help with their draw. The first thing I ask them is, what is your goal? Tell me, do you want to hunt with a bow? Do you want to go with a rifle? Do you, are you looking for that big bull? Are you looking for opportunity? The scream fest, I mean, what are your goals? And then based on that, that's when I can kind of suggest to people like, hey, you might look at this unit. You might look at this. You might do different things, you know? So let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the odds of drawing a tag in New Mexico per weapon. Let's take a look at, um, and, and I don't know if you have a lot of knowledge on this, but I know for a fact, I mean, I talk to people that have been putting in for, that are residents that have been putting in for a rifle elk tag for 10, 12 years that haven't drawn that tag. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And that's one thing that I changed is because, you know, you take my brother, for example, he's pulled, I think in his entire life, like two elk tags. And one of those was a bow and he put it and he got it his first year applying. And then you take me, I've had, you know, five or six in my time that I've elk hunted. You have way more knowledge, experience than I do. But yeah, I've, I've actually got to go elk hunting more because I have changed weapon types. Um, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's common knowledge, but it's, it is a much better odds of drawing with a bow compared to a rifle. Oh, absolutely, man. Just because it's it kind of like, a, I'm always comparing things to track and field. It's kind of like people that um, 
want to run the 100 meter dash versus people that want to run the the two mile (laughs) i'm one of them big guys speed is not my friend i'm an endurance guy i would rather run two miles at a slow pace than that quick 100 you know yeah you know but it's so much yeah the point being that it's a whole lot easier to run that 100 it's a whole lot easier to pick up uh a firearm and you know to get it sighted in it doesn't take the skill set is different it's just way different as far as time invested and things that you have to do and what you have to do to be able to get out there and how close you got to get so it's it's a real different skill set that that you need for that but one thing that we haven't talked about is the muzzle loader you know you do have some areas in new mexico that are primitive unit only but before we go into that also i want to say is archery tags will honestly sometimes offer you more opportunities so you know you take some of these units for rifle they don't even offer 50 tags but if you look at the um archery side right you know they're offering 150 200 and it's like hey this one rifle tag it's 50 opportunities to get drawn you know where this archery hunt i get 200 possible opportunities so why is that why why is that jared from your point of view as a conservation officer um i think the department bases their numbers off of success rates because they've got years upon years of success rates and how many people harvest and they're like okay the average success rate, and I'm and I don't know this for a fact, so don't quote me on it exactly. Mm-hmm. They'll look at it like you know we can take fifty elk out of this unit to have a sustainable population, right. but our success rate out of a hundred people, you know, average, let's just say twenty five people are harvesting elk. So they're like, okay, well if we can take fifty on our average, let's let's bump it up to where we give out two hundred tags, and on average, those are going to be our success rates. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're thinking, you know, like we threw before, let's say that there are a hundred tags for an area and you have a 15% success rate in that area, that's, that's 15 animals that have been harvested. Whereas, you know, you go to the rifle, if you had those same hundred percent, I mean, those hundred tags, when success rates are generally a little bit right around 25%, maybe a little bit better. So now you're looking at taking more of those animals. And generally because of the timing of that season, it's it's some of those more mature animals that you would like to see breeding, keeping your, your herd strong. So I, it all has to do with expertise in wildlife and wildlife management. But yeah, going into your point with muzzleloader, yeah, there is that option of going muzzleloader, which I don't have the numbers off on the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you have a unit that is that has all three weapons, so you have them with archery, muzzleloader, then rifle, then your muzzleloader might have better odds than your rifle, but you know, we take like this is take unit 15, for example. It's it's a primitive weapon unit only, meaning there are no rifle tags available for elk in that unit, and it is strictly archery and uh, muzzleloader. So your odds aren't going to be as good because the only people putting in for those are the people with muzzleloaders. It can work either way, honestly. Sure, sure. No, that's awesome. And, you know, I think um, it's also there's a consideration, too, when people are putting in for a draw – according to what they're after like you were talking about expectations 
right? So if I am somebody that is, um, if I'm looking for a big mature bull versus somebody that's looking for any elk, that changes the type of unit I might be putting in for as well, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, if you got a guy and he's wanting, or gal, you know, if you have a hunter and they're like, I want that six by six, I want a 350 class bull or nothing, then yeah, you're going to want those quality to high demand areas. But if you're just, you know, someone like, hey, I just want to go elk hunting, I'll be happy with anything. Now you open yourself to so many more opportunities because now you can go to these standard areas and you'll be happy to see the elk where, you know, you take that same hunter wants a 350 and they'll see a several, they'll see several 200, maybe low 300 class. They're not going to be as happy as the guy who's happy with anything, you know? Yeah, no kidding, man. So you mentioned something earlier in the show that you were going to talk about that you found out something new about early hunts. Get this, um, um, New Mexico Game and Fish this year is offering an incentive to people who apply early. And your your listeners, or whoever's watching the show, just I found this by just typing in New Mexico Game and Fish draw. And yeah, so apparently, if your listeners will imply the, the way to get qualified for this incentive, I don't know if they're drawing this or what they're doing. But if you if they apply before five o'clock Mountain Standard Time on March 10th, they need to apply before then and provide a valid email address and a click the, the box that allows them the Game and Fish to contact you. The Game and Fish apparently is giving away like a Yeti cooler, uh, a frame backpack, a one year subscription to Onyx Elite Off Road and Backcountry. Uh, a federal swag pack. Um, I mean, all kinds of cool little things. And yeah, I just found that out. This is the first year I think they've ever offered an incentive for applying early. I'll be darned. Because when we were talking about draw strategies and reason behind things and how it differs for different people, um, I have always put in myself in the last week and I've never, that I can remember, put in for a second or a third choice. Can you believe that? Well, I tell people, you know, when they say, oh, I just want this one choice. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm like, you know, it doesn't cost you anything else. You might as well throw a second or third just because it gives you more opportunity, you know? Well, the the reason being, again, things can be different, but I hunt in a, in a group and I hunt in a mixed group. So if I end up drawing the Vi of a doll and, and they draw uh, another area that we were planning on hunting, uh, it doesn't work out, man. It just doesn't work. So uh, for some people, it might be an all or nothing thing, you know. Uh, and for me, it's it's been, I have found that, uh, you know, if there's a certain area that I want to go into and hunt, uh, again, I look for those lesser choices that other people are going to put in for. And we try to find those lesser choices and try to have that opportunity to get into those places. So there, there's extenuating circumstances to that. But, you know, in my young days, it might have been about me hunting an elk. It might have been, you know, okay, well, if I draw solo, you know, 
one of you guys want to go with me or something like that, well, that, that might have worked. Uh, a lot more selfish when I was younger with my hunting. But as I get older, it's more about the camaraderie and the memories and the time spent. And the, so it's actually changed how I do that. It's not going to be it's not going to work for me to be in one place and, and guys that I want to hunt with in another place. So we have to, one day we're going to have to cross that road uh, when that happens and might find us having to go someplace else where they do have an OTC tag. But my strategies have always been put in as late as possible. And, and basically uh, I put in for one area. I am not saying that it's a bright strategy <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's a smart one. I've never been accused of being brilliant, but uh, that's what I've done that that has worked for me. So um, it's just just the way things have gone. But if we if we are hitting on those things that are going to help other people to draw that tag here in New Mexico, I think you've pretty much listed it out. Is there? Is there anything that we missed on those tips and strategies that, that you would have specific for an out-of-stater versus an in-stater? Or do you think that those tips and strategies go for both? I've got, I've got four years worth, and this is not because I'm with the department. It's because I've collected them. I've got four years of draw odds. So I've been able to do all kinds of math. I mean, you know, when I was getting my degree to become a game and fish officer, I was like, I'm never going to use statistics ever well i'm using them now but for a different reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I crunch these numbers so much i look at you know average number of people who apply i look at average number of tags applied or awarded i look at average number per choice I, I break this down big time and i think if people will take the time and they do their homework that's the big thing if you guys do your homework then i think you're going to increase your odds of drawing um, exponentially the yeah for residents and non-residents i'd say as long as you apply smart and don't waste your picks i mean because there are some hunts i think in new mexico where the quote just doesn't work like i know like antelope for example where they award five tags they award four of those to residents and then one to outfitters because there's just not enough to award to a to a non-resident if i'm not mistaken right so if so, a resident puts in for that, they're just burning their, their. Yeah, or, or you know, the governor tag here in New Mexico. For your listeners, the governor tag is a tag issued one tag, one license issued through the public draw. That is basically, I say, anywhere at any time, any weapon. So you means you could be in prime September where everyone else is using a bow, and you have this license, you could actually be using a rifle. But because there's only one license available, it goes to a resident and there are people probably non-resident outfit every year that put in for it and they're not going to get it. So and, let me think about that governor's tag, because are there multiple governor's tags or just one governor's tag? I think there's three governor tag total, if I'm not mistaken. There's one they issue through the public draw. There's one they raffle. And then there's one they auction. You know what? I have never seen or known how to apply for the governor's tag in New Mexico as a resident. So the two two of those are are through the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They they raffle one and they auction one. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is it's elk code elk E L K dash one dash seven hundred. And it's like if you go through the um, if you go to the proclamation. And once you get to the um, your choices, it's 
the first should be the first one on public draw. Yep, right here. Okay. It's elk dash one dash seven hundred. It's any legal arm, and it's the hunt dates are September one through January thirty first. So let me ask you a question on that. Does that mean you have to pick any five days between September no. 1 to January 31st, or can you hunt any time during that? That is any time during that. That That's why the governor tag, it's the premium statewide elk hunt. And, yeah, from any time between September 1 and January 31st, that's why I say anywhere, anytime, any weapon, because you could literally be in 16D on September 28th, Mm -hmm. when no one else is out there and you can use a rifle and knock down a monster bull down there, you know? Wow. Did not know that because, uh, yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I had no idea. One of those, so that's, that's the, uh, Willy Wonka's golden ticket right there in New Mexico. Yeah. And they have one of those for elk and deer that they issue through the public draw. And so, like the deer one is like D E R dash one dash seven hundred, same thing as the elk. So I don't know if you have it, and I'm just curious, and and I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have any idea. But do you, you have any, uh, not exact idea, but uh, how many people apply for that governor's tag? You give me one second, I'll tell you exactly how many people in 2020 did, because I actually have those numbers. Give me a second. Oh, that's kind of interesting, man. I, I have had, I have never even seen, thought, or heard about that. You know, most people when they talk about trying to hit the lottery in New Mexico, you're thinking via Caldera, you're thinking via Vidal, um, you know, the, those types of areas that are are once in a lifetime hunts. So I've never even. I always thought the governor's tag was something that was strictly raffled off, and that you I've learned something huge today. Yeah, they just started this a couple of years ago. So like for so for 2021, okay, or not 2021, I'm sorry, 2020, 950 people put in for this license, okay? This one tag. Mm -hmm. Um, so as a first choice, 734 residents put in. They awarded the tag first choice. So your your draw odd for this hunt is about 0.14%. So zero. 0.14% chance of getting that tag, but um, you look at it, okay? This is what I mean by wasting your pick. If you got to do your research, they issued their one tag in the first choice. There are 64 people who put in for it as a second choice and 153 that put in for it as a third choice. So that's 210 people that just wasted a pick because they're not going to get it. And that's one thing, if there's anything, if you look at it, if you draw low, if you drew low enough to even be considered for that governor tag, you and you put it as a, and you put it as your second or third choice, you're going to get your one or two first. Right. So that's why on some of these hunts, you got to apply smart, um, or you're not going to get it. Uh, I'm going to throw this out too, just uh, kind of another prime example. Okay. Um, the ibex here in where I'm at, there's 25 tags issued. 21 go to residents, all 21 go in the first choice. Mm -hmm. And there are still people who apply on their second and their third for this hunt, but there's no tags available, so they're wasting their picks. So I hope everybody's understanding what you're talking about there, is that when you take a look at, at when you're listing, so if we kind of paraphrase this, and, and we're giving you guys a strategy that you understand is that, 
you want to put in for the one hunt that you really most want that would be your dream hunt as that first choice. Because if you are drawn and that is available, then that's what you want. But yet, now here's the caveat, is that if your second choice or your third choice have very low odds of being available at that point in time, it doesn't make sense to put sense to put that as your second and third choice. That's what I'm hearing from you, correct, Jared? You know, I don't know about you, but when I go on the day after the results are released, mm-hmm. you know, you go on Facebook group, like hunting group for New Mexico, and you got people saying, I haven't drawn elk tag in 20 years. Well, when I talk to those people, I'm like, what did you put in for? And they're like, oh, I put in for a high demand first rifle was my first. I put in for a high demand first rifle was my second. And my third, I put in for, a, you know, like a high demand second archery is my third. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get that, dude. <laughs> you got to play smart and pull these tags. There is ample opportunity in the state if you can play smart. Right. Because if you if you are somebody that if you put in for that high demand and you're you're drawn down the line well number one it's going to be tough to pull any unit right so if you're not putting units to give yourself a chance because for me i think if i was to do anything i would probably put my dream hunt on that first pick and i think my next two if i was somebody coming from out of state or somebody in the state that wanted to make sure that they hunted i would definitely find areas that have high still have high uh a high opportunity to be able to draw uh when you are down on the list man you you've got to find those that a lot of people are not putting in for or they're putting the so because here's what can happen let's say that i i put in for my dream as number one or and then i put in for an area that may be just a standard unit on my number two and then i put another standard unit as my number three well number one if they are drawn if they're drawn for their their number one hunt because they're drawn early then those people that are trying to draw in those other two standards would just eliminate it you they just those are not going to be picks out of that so when people start drawing on their first and second pick that's leaving those number threes open less people applying for those number threes possibly less people applying for those number twos i hope you're following me on that yeah so and that's and that's a good strategy is you put those high demands as number one you can put a high demand as your number two but you also have to understand like because it is a high demand there's more than likely going to be less tags available, very less, where if you would put a quality quality or a standard as your number two and your number three, you have chances. You actually now have given yourself that chance of drawing it. And I, I want to stress to your, to your listeners is the thing I use more than anything is the draw odd report. I, I study this religiously and compare all these numbers and like, okay, well, how does this strategy fit? Like I put down different strategies and then I'm like, okay, well, you know, this strategy doesn't work too good, but this one does. But what if I tweak it like this just a little bit and just, and that's how I run through it. And so that's the one thing is if you will go look and study these draw reports, you will substantially 
increase your odds of growing. Now, one one last thing that, that I want to talk about that people in New Mexico, do we give herd sizes for our areas? Herd, um, I think that that um, I think that, uh, yeah, right here, this. Um, yeah. So if you go to the um, the harvest report that I was telling you about, mm -hmm. it actually gives you a population estimate. So. You know, here, I'm going to throw this out, okay? I'll, I'll do, I'll show you one. This is the 2020 report, and we'll do unit 12, okay? Just, we're going to throw unit 12 out. It says, this is the fence lake herd in unit 12. Mm -hmm. It says, population estimate, 3,400 to 6,000 elk. The bull to cow ratio to calf, okay, is 33 bulls to 100 cows to 47 calves. Okay. And they say... Sustainable harvest for Unit 12, according to their harvest report, is 270 to 590 bulls, and then 360 cows to 630. 360 to 630 cows is the sustainable harvest. So they have a healthy herd in that area. It sounds like it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like all was doing really good. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get get that bull to cow ratio, I I myself if it's over 25 and it to 25 to that 30 and and a little bit over that i mean that's great i mean the higher the better on that but if i'm seeing that 25 to 30 on bulls to cows number one and that big telling story that you talked about was the calf to cow ratio that really shows that the herd is continuing to grow and to get strong and by your harvest report they show i mean 3,500 to 6,000, that's a big variant numbers there. But I'll just tell you, I think in South Dakota and, you know, like all of their Black Hills range, I think they only figure them to be uh, 8,000 there in that entire range. So that's a, a, a pretty doggone good herd in that area. So it doesn't have to be unit 12. It could be units around that as well that are going to benefit from that herd size. And if you take a look at those areas, now you've got to take a look at what kind of land features you have that's going to attract elk. But if you look at those areas and you're seeing that um, it's maybe a standard. It doesn't get as many people putting in for those areas. Well, that might be a prime area for you to have an opportunity. Just saying. Yeah, and like I said, that's I just picked that out because it was right here in front of me. Mm -hmm. But your listeners, this is if they will go in and just type in um, NMDGF New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, just NMDGF Harvest Report. It'll take them to this page. And it has, you know, right here has 2019-20 upland game harvest, pronghorn, orcs, javelina, and it and it goes it, and it has those. And it even looking at this, it has them from 2016 as well. Yeah. So um, you can get four years worth of data and see how the elk are doing, you know, each year. Like, are their numbers increasing? Are hunter success increasing? Is it decreasing? Right. And you a pretty good strategy with these tools that are readily available to you. I think the herd numbers, I think, um, you know, uh, those bull to cow, cow to calf ratios are some of the most important numbers. Because again, I tell people that success rates just means the people that killed elk. It doesn't mean necessarily that 
um, there's that many more elk or that many less elk. It's just that's the harvest that was taken by that skill set of that group that was in there that year. There could be a lot of people that went in for various reasons. Maybe, you know, they had a tag that they could have gone, you know, for their five-day hunt. But, you know, there's a lot of people who can only hunt on the weekend. So they put in three days, only put in two days. You know, there's there's a lot of that that happens out there that ends up changing what happens to those success rates. It could have been that it got hit by weather one year when it didn't the previous year. It could be that they had a bad drought year or there was a fire that hit it that year. It really takes you doing your research and paying attention to those types of things that could tell the story. But I, I think if we go back and we try to paraphrase that, I think I think you've kind of learned that. And and help me if I if I tell anybody wrong here, Jared, is that it, with we have a straight up lottery. If you have a dream area that you want to go to, that should be your first choice. Your second and third choice, you ought to really delve into the percentages of how many of those were available. If you're an out-of-stater and there were none available to an out-of-state hunter by a second or third choice, I don't put in for that area. You are wasting your choice opportunity. And if... Uh, if you are uh, going to put in as a resident or anybody, make sure that you pay attention to what is available at those points in time for your second and third choice, depending on what you want to get out of it. Whether it now, if you're looking for a trophy bull, there's some areas that you might not want to put in for, you know, that uh, because it's, maybe it's not known for that. But, man, I tell you guys, man, if I look at a herd for 3,500 to 6,000 in an area, and that's just one of them. There's a lot of that around different places in the state. And I look at that. You know what? You, you know, it's called hunting. And you're just going to have to do it because there are going to be big bulls in that group. There's going to be bulls that have survived that are con you know, going to get those mature ages. You're going to find those six to eight-year-olds out there. Uh, you're going to find those nine-year-olds here and there, you know. So um, you just got to do your homework. But make sure that you're doing it so that you're not wasting it. Also a thing to paraphrase in there, if you are out of state, you are penalizing yourself if you're putting in as a group instead of individually. That's something that you need to think about before you do that. Because it really, with the limited amount of tags that are out there, when you put in for a group, one of you might have drawn as a single and, you know, the group of four could come and help out the one. Or you end up getting bumped out and there's no experience. And I will tell you this, and we try to tell people all the time, and Jared, you've listened to our podcast, man, is that I think one of the most important things to your success as an elk hunter is knowledge. And that knowledge, it's man, that knowledge that you get having boots on the ground and experiencing those animals and experiencing that hunt, there's second to none on that. Guys like myself and other guys out there can help shorten that learning curve and we can kind of give you those things that when you see it you're like oh I get it now and you're starting to put together the pieces but there's nothing like getting that experience and getting out there yeah no you paraphrase perfectly um knowledge is power I mean especially in the elk woods I mean it is amazing you get guys who don't know and I'm speaking from experience I mean if you had called me 
back in 2015 when I first started archery elk hunting by myself. Mm-hmm. And you said, hey, pop quiz, what's a thermal? I've been like, that's the stuff you put in your boot to keep your feet warm. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how much my knowledge of this you got. Not listening to the elk bros, but listening to other podcasts and watching YouTube and getting that experience has helped me, but it has, it, I mean, it is second to none to just get out there and experience it for yourself. And yeah, you paraphrase perfectly by saying, do your homework, because if you will look at these draw odd reports and give yourself a chance for success, you will be surprised of how much better your odds will go up when you put in smart and you are giving yourself a chance for success, you know? Absolutely. And, and I want to tell everybody out there too, um, I don't, I don't uh, have a membership uh, or none of these people sponsor us, but I know that there's other resources out on the web. You have GoHunt out there. You got Top Rut that's out there. And, you know, uh, a lot of those types of resource sites that are going to help you to make some of those decisions to be able to get in and help your draw odds. And they're all they're doing is crunching the data that Jared's talking about. And, you know, they've got sophisticated algorithms to try to put it all together for you and to give you information that's going to help you out. But, you know, uh, nerd it, man. Nerd it. Do your homework. Find out. You know, if you really want to be out there, there are tags available. And, you know, I know of uh, one of our grinders out there that has drawn in New Mexico three years in a row out of state from the uh, 6% pool. He's drawn three years in a row and drew the Via Caldera this last year. So it happens, man. Lightning strikes. It is a true lottery so everybody has a chance man you get drawn early on that it just happens and i you know i keep telling the guy go buy a lottery ticket because <laughs> i just want to rub his head jared man i couldn't believe this man could i mean has drawn the gila has drawn elsewhere in the state and then drew the uh the via caldera three years in a row unbelievable yeah <laughs> My fiance, her first, this is her first year applying as a resident. And, you know, I helped with her draw strategy and out of five applications, she pulled four tags and, you know, two of those was one was a, a, a rifle elk tag. And then she drew a once in a lifetime orcs tag. And I'm like, go get your lottery ticket. That, that's ridiculous. First year ever you get that, go give me a lottery ticket too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Hey, Jared, man, I can't thank you enough for, you know, first of all, sending an email to me and saying that you'd like to come on and, and have a conversation and being here today. And and uh, I, I sure appreciate that, bud. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I want people to get out there and get drawn and to help people, you know. Absolutely, man. So you guys, um, that concludes our Insights Edition. We really enjoyed this. I know it's been a while since we had one. There's going to be more to come. But I just want to tell you, whatever you do, keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving. But most of all, keep grinding. We'll see you next time. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.